Welcome to this edition of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. Great to have you with us and great to have Frank Oss join us again, local rock and roll expert and fellow Clevelander. Frankie, how are you today? Great, and it's great to be here. Rock Hall, inductees, 2004, pretty strong class, starting with George Harrison, humanitarian, political activist, uh, advocate for peace and for faith. For faith. He had died a couple years earlier than that, so it was a posthumous award for George. Prince, what did you think of Prince Rogers Nelson? Uh, terrific talent. Um, wasn't always uh, very uh, up on his music, but certainly, uh, of course, Purple Rain and uh, uh, some of his, in uh, 1999, some of his uh, biggest hits, of course, I knew. Great musician. Yeah, great musician, singer, songwriter, a little off the beaten path, a little weird, I thought. Yeah, especially a little when bit. He, when he changed his name to just the symbol. Mm-hmm. But certainly deserving. Warner Brothers uh, agreed to give Prince creative control of his first three albums as well as his publishing rights, which is like unheard of for a new artist. Absolutely. He got going in Minnesota pretty much when uh, I was a kid, 18, 19 years old. He performed at halftime of Super Bowl, which is still regarded uh, along with maybe Michael Jackson's as one of the greatest halftime shows of all time. It was done in the pouring rain. I remember that. In Miami Mm -hmm. when the Colts uh, beat the Bears that year. Um, Billboard has ranked it as the best halftime show ever. Surprisingly, it beat out uh, Andy Williams and the show with Up With People. I can't believe it beat out Up With People. Me either. The Dells, the Illinois-based R&B group formed in 1953. They recorded for over 20 years and released dozens of songs, many charted very high, including Oh What a Night and Stay In My Corner. Bob Seger, know a little bit about him, Oh, absolutely. Hard-working rockers since the 60s, performed with as Bob Seger and the Last Herd, the Bob Seger System put together the Silver Bullet Band. They were one of our great um, featured artists uh, last season. He hit the national scene with Live Bullets, which we discussed in, in a five live segment uh, last time around. Yeah, absolutely. sold more than 75 million records over his career. He's also inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, which is very prestigious in 2012. And if you like rock and roll, you can't can't get any better than just straight up rock and roll from Bob Seger. Bob Seger spells rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Traffic, formed in Birmingham, England in 1967 with Steve Winwood, Jim Capaldi, Chris Wood, Dave Mason. They broke up briefly in 1969. 
when Winwood would join Eric Clapton in Blind Faith. And then they reunited a year later with the release of John Barleycorn Must Die. Good album, great, oh, great group. album, yeah. one of my favorite artists of all time. He's a great artist. Uh, now, this was not a, a band that spelled rock and roll. They were far more into uh, kind of jazz inflection and things like that, but they were excellent, no doubt. Low Spark of High Heeled Boys, mm-hmm. released in 71, following the departure of Dave Mason. Good group, Mr. Fantasy, 67. Planned uh, another project, but that was shelved following the death of Jim Capaldi at age 60 back in the year 2005. ZZ Top. Houston-based band. We haven't talked a lot about ZZ Top, no, but we I like them. When you wake up in the morning and the light has hurt your head, the first thing you do when you get up out of bed is hit that street running and try to beat the masses. Get yourself some cheap sunglasses Tush and cheap sunglasses, LaGrange Frank Beard, Dusty Hill, Billy Gibbons, they wrote all their tunes. That's right. Good and, rock and roll uh, band. Terrific band and uh, blues, straight straight up uh, rhythm and blues. Classic rock staples like Legs, Give Me All Your Lovin', Sharp Dressed Man, which I'm not crazy about those three tunes, but it kept them in the forefront of rock and roll in the sure 80s, did. didn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and they had some big videos at the time. They sure did. They got started with the great help of Billy Ham, who was their longtime producer and also discovered a young soon-to-be country star named Clint Black. Wow. So he produced a lot of their early albums and as they moved into the 80s as well. So, Frankie, this next segment is going to be our one and only time we'll do this. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Our very first single, not one yeah. that we got from uh, for Christmas or borrowed from the kid down the street or stole out of our brother or sister's collection when he or she wasn't noticing, but it was the first single you purchased with your own money, whether it be something you earned on your own or cutting the grass or allowance. For me, it was the Moody Blues, 1971 in the late summer, The Story in Your Eyes. <laughs>
fantastic uh, record for your first. I, I still have it hanging on the wall right behind me with the, the little plastic uh, oh, adapter. That's our, our logo for our 70s mm-hmm. conversation show. You know, how many times have you flipped over a single, though, and found something great on the other side? Uh, yeah, I did used not, to be able to do that. Right? I never flipped it over and listened to Melancholy Man, was not interested. I oh, never okay. listened to it, and I guess I can now, but... Um, I remember purchasing it, I guess, at Neisner's or maybe Melody Lane. Mm -hmm. Melody Lane, for those of you folks who aren't familiar with Cleveland or Lakewood area, they used to have every week the top 100 singles uh, all in 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 a row based on where they were in the countdown. And you could buy the single... All you do is look at the, the chart That's on the right. wall and yep. then say I want number 89 and mm-hmm. you can purchase a single. So a lot of that was done back then, what were they, 79 cents or 69 something cents? Like something that, like that, yeah. Reasonably priced, let's put it that way. So you could go there, you could go to Neisner's, which was a, a closer walk to, to you and me. So I remember I might have bought at the same time. Uh, the next one I bought, I do remember the second one was Carpenters and Superstar. Oh, boy. So the Carpenters and Leanne the Leanne Russell Blues. wrote that one. He did, yeah. Yes. And I did listen to the B-side, which was Bless the Beasts and the Children. It's a good tune. It's a nice tune. Uh, but so for the Carpenters, that was the second one. I kind of wish that I'd held off, though, on buying Story in Your Eyes and waited till the next release, which was my favorite one of theirs by the Moody Blues, Isn't Life Strange? Oh, I wish that. I had held off now. <laughs> How about you? Um, well, I... It's funny you mentioned the name, but Neisner's was uh, where I headed for my first one. It was uh, would have been summer of 1966, and I wandered in there and uh, bought a record called Sunshine Superman. By Donovan. By Donovan, It's yes. one and only number one. Exactly. Mellow Yellow went to number two, by the way. Sunshine came softly through my our window today could have tripped out easy but I've I changed my way it'll take time I know it but in a while you're gonna be mine and I know it we're we'll doing it in style cause I'll make It was uh, it was kind of a, one of those first, very first. It was kind of into a little bit into the psychedelic end uh, things. And when I'm looking it up, I found out that um, the guitar and the bass on it were Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones from uh, Led Zeppelin. In a few years, would be Led Zeppelin, but uh, at that time they were session musicians. Isn't that funny? They'll be coming up uh, quite a bit when we talk about Cat Stevens in our next episode as our featured artists. Sure enough, they wound up playing on a couple of his early tunes as well. Absolutely. But it's fun walking into a store like Neisner's, which was in downtown Lakewood, just a couple of blocks from where we lived, and a couple of blocks away from Woolworth, which was, it was a lot like Woolworth, wasn't it? Where you can get anything you wanted. Yep. And as a kid of, for me, 11, 10 years old, when you bring your own money down there, to not have to buy crayons and a coloring book. That's right. You could right. actually buy a record that was out right then. Yeah, it was exciting. Was and I, I remember flipping it over and finding a, a tune called The Trip. 
Now, I did not know this at the time, but that was a very psychedelic thing. And, uh, of course, the trip they were talking about was one with drugs, mm-hmm. not what I was thinking about at Where all. Where you get into the back of your uh, country squire. Exactly. And That's what somewhere. I was thinking of, something more on that uh, vein. But, uh, you know, years later, I figured out exactly what it was. <laughs> you still have the single? Uh, no. I think it's gone the way uh, of all flesh. Uh, I do remember, though, the second one I bought was uh, The Pied Piper. Oh, by Crispin St. Peter's. Exactly. Kind of almost a novelty hit, but I guess he was a folk rocker, too. So I was kind of into that little, little bit of folk rock there. You, with your masquerading and you, always contemplating what to do. In case happiness found you, can't you see that it's all around you? So follow me. Hey, come on, baby. Follow me. I'm the pipe piper. Follow me. I'm the pipe piper. And I'll show you. episode apparently well he he died a few years ago crispin did but apparently there's some confusion as to whether he was born in 1942 or 1939 oh okay anyway it's great tune i like the pied piper it was a fun tune yeah top five albums we call it five and five this week uh, 1971 i'll give you my top five and in no particular order and then uh, you can uh, give me your top five. And I have a feeling one of them will be the same. And that is Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Oh, what a great record. He's our featured artist today, recorded uh, in the early 70s, released in 71, um, partially recorded at Hitsville, USA, very introspective, uh, promoting his views on the ecology, poverty, the Vietnam War. He was quite depressed following the brain tumor uh, diagnosis and uh, subsequent death of Tammy Terrell. And so he wasn't overly happy with the record industry or with Barry Gordy at the time. So What's Going On featured the spoken words of Detroit Lions players, big stars at the time, Lem Barney and Mel Farr. That's right. And it also included 
Detroit Pistons guard and one day mayor of Detroit, Dave Bing. Dave Bing, sure. It also included Trouble Man, Mercy, Mercy Me. I love that album. Oh, it's a great album. It uh, goes down smooth as silk. James Taylor, Mudslide Slim and the Blue Horizon featured You've Got a Friend and uh, Long Ago and Far Away. A lot of star power banking them up on that one, Frankie, like Carol King. Joni Mitchell, Peter Asher, who was the producer. It was number two on the Billboard chart and kept kept out of the same uh, kept out of the top spot rather by Carol King's Carole Tapestry. King, yep. A uh, lot of albums were kept out of the top spot by Carol King. Absolutely. Tapestry, speaking of which, Carol King wasn't quite sure what to to make of her solo career. A little bit trepidatious, but when you have Lou Adler as the executive producer, you're in good hands. He was the producer of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He produced music for The Grassroots, Mamas and Papas, Jan and Dean, discovered and produced Cheech and Chong, who, by the way, were introducing Lou Adler at the Rock Hall of Fame induction ceremonies when he was inducted. So that makes perfect sense. Stayed in bed all morning just to pass the time. There's something wrong here, there can be no denying. One of us is changing, or maybe we just stop. Tapestry was a great album, especially for women empowerment. We talked about how Bobby Martin sang For the Love of Him just a year earlier. That's right. And uh, Helen Reddy, I Am Woman, just a year later. Mm -hmm. But songs like A Natural Woman, I Feel the Earth Move Under My Feet were very empowering to young women and women in general at the time, weren't they? Absolutely. And It's Too Late spent uh, some time in number one in 1971. Great summer, too, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Tapestry was number one for 15 consecutive weeks. Carole King was one of the top-selling female artists for the entire decade of the 70s. It was just a fantastic album, as was Cat Stevens' teaser in The Fire Cat. It was the fifth studio album by him. It included Morning Is Broken. Rick Wakeman played piano on that one. In an uncredited uh, role as a, a pianist uh, for Morning Is Broken, which was a departure from the usual That's acoustic right. stuff you heard. Yeah, he, he played that uh, kind of that intro. But good tune. Bitter Blue is on there. Moon Shadow, Peace Train, Pete the number two on the Billboard Top 200 chart, three-time platinum. The song originally a Christian hymn published first in 1931, reached number six, Mo Morning Is Broken, that is, here in the U.S. in the spring of 72. It's been covered by dozens of artists and uh, that's just one of my favorite albums of all time. Bad Fingers, Straight Up, originally produced by Greg Emmerich, who worked with the Beatles on Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road. He then handled production duties, handed them off to George Harrison at the Abbey Road Studios. Now, George was originally working as producer for Bad Finger, helped get them started. Uh, but on this project, he wanted to do something called All Things Must Pass. So, <laughs> And he was into... Um, you know, the Biafra and the Bangladesh. And yeah, Bangladesh, sure. Bangladesh. So he turned things over to Todd Rundgren, who was uh, at the time really starting to gain some traction as a, a good producer, big-time producer before his solo career really took off. So That's true. 
George Harrison uh, gave things to Todd, who uh, took things over and did uh, Day After Day, uh, and Baby Blue is on there. Bandmate Tom Evans also co-wrote the song Without You, which was a big hit for Nielsen. And Without You is also produced by legendary uh, producer uh, Richard Perry. Your top five. Uh, well, I'm uh, heavily uh, into what's going on, as uh, you mentioned. Um, in the fall of that year, with about an eight-week span, two of my favorite bands released probably their two best albums, uh, Led Zeppelin IV and um, uh, Who's Next. We can argue, I could argue with myself for days about which one I like better, but the fact is they're both tremendous albums. Of course, Who's Next, anchored by We Won't Get Fooled Again, and you know, Stairway to Heaven off of uh, Led Zeppelin IV. Uh, just tremendous records, and uh, like I said, released within about eight weeks of one another that fall. Uh, the other one's uh, a little bit, uh, a little less known is the Yes album. Uh, that is uh, one that uh, really brought them to fame. Uh, they were kind of a cult band before that. The interesting thing about it is that there's four songs on it that are all over eight minutes. And they're all well-known. Uh, of course, uh, like uh, Yours is No Disgrace is on there, Perpetual Change, and, of course, uh, Your Move, uh, I've Seen All Good People, uh, all over eight minutes long. So uh, just a tremendous album and really uh, broke them in the United States uh, as they were somewhat popular in England at the time. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day So satisfied I'm on my way I've seen all good people turn their heads each day So satisfied I'm on my way And then finally, uh, the swan song that we didn't know was a swan song at the time, uh, L.A. Woman by The Doors. Uh, what a fantastic record. biggest hits, uh, Love Her Madly, but then also had a couple of their biggest uh, AOR pl uh, plays uh, as uh, Riders on the Storm and uh, also uh, L.A. Woman itself. Just a tremendous album. It was really a great swan song. I'm glad they put it out. Uh, it was released just about a month before um, Jim Morrison left us. Now, Bruce Botnick, who helped produce that album and engineered like their first album, uh, told us that um, Jim was 
Cleaning up his act, he was very easy to work with in the studio. He wasn't drinking so much while recording at the time, so that was good, and a lot of good things came out of that album. I love Riders on the Storm. Oh, what a song. What a great song. You can drive to it. You can listen Mm -hmm. to it on a rainy night. You can just listen to it outside on a beautiful night. It's an excellent album. Those are great choices. And it's great. Got that fantastic uh, little organ solo uh, of the time, you know, that... uh kind of that almost tinny sound to it. Good choices. Now, 1971, you were 14, 15 years old. Yep. A lot of good albums came out that year. Did you oh. save your pennies? Did you uh, cut extra lawns to, yeah, to make definitely. so much money for those albums? I, I can't believe some of the, the albums that came out this year when I looked into them, uh, such as, uh, well, Sticky Fingers by the, Storm, the Stones, and, of course, John Men- Lennon's Imagine, one of his uh, fine opuses. Um, there was also... Almond Brothers Live at Fillmore. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite uh, live albums of all time, Humble Pie Rock in the Fillmore. Aqualung came out that year. Uh, and of course, Every Picture Tells a Story by Rod, Rod Stewart. Stewart. Oh man, what a, what a record and what a year it was. 71, great year for record albums and some other ones that were big that year. Elton John's Madman Across the Water, Black Sabbath, Master of Reality, T-Rex and Electric Warrior that featured Bang a Gong, Get It On. Produced by Tony Visconti, who would go on to produce a lot of David Bowie music. Janis Joplin released her final album, called Pearl, uh, produced by Paul Rothschild. We may know he produced the first five albums by The Doors. Nielsen Schmielsen. Harry Nielsen, that featured Without You, the number one hit uh, in the early part of 72. George Harrison's The Concert for Bangladesh. Van Morrison, haven't talked about him very much, but we will in future episodes. Tupelo Honey, good album. Chicago, Chicago 3. And the Moody Blues, Every Good Boy Deserves Favor, keeping up their long list of really creative and cool-sounding record album titles. So there was always uh, no shortage of albums to ask for for Christmas time. And exactly. under your tree, if you were a good little boy, you probably found a few of them there. Definitely. Between uh, your sister who knew your tastes and, and your folks. One Hit Wonders, Spyro Staircase. I'm kind of into how groups spell their name. We talked about the circle spelled C-Y-R-K-L-E at the uh, at the urging of John That's Lennon. Right. Mm-hmm. Spyro Staircase is spelled S-T-A-R-E-C-A-S-E, in case you want to download more, okay. more today than yesterday. The five-man group hailing from Sacramento, California, led by a guy named Pat Upton, who was the lead singer and guitarist.
It peaked at number 12 in the early part of 69. Upton went on to become a member of Ricky Nelson's band after they broke up in 71 and was not on the plane which took the life of Ricky Nelson in 1985. Did you know More Today Than Yesterday has been covered a couple of dozen times by everybody from Andy Williams to Diana Ross to Lena Horne, James Darren, and Sonny and Cher? I believe that. It's a a nice tune. you know, uh, it's got it's got a little bit of uh, beat to it, and so it it could go a different mu- d- number of different ways as far as how you could remake it. Yeah, it's a fun song. It reminds me of something that would have been written by the guys who wrote "Baby Now That I Found You" or "Build Me a mm-hmm. Buttercup" or one of those other one-hit wonders. Sure, "Shocking Blue." We talked about how great those those tough-sounding band names and group names were back in the early part of the 70s, like T-Rex and Bad Finger. You yep. know, Bad Company was later on, but Shocking Blue came out with Venus and it hit number one in the winter of 1970. That would have been a good first single, I think. Oh, absolutely. redone by Banana Rama in 1986 and like Shocking Blue it also went to number 1 then That's right I remember that So Venus was featured in the 6th episode of Queen's Gambit you ever see that on Netflix it's supposed to be a popular show Yeah that's what I've heard Mighty Joe was the follow-up single but it only made as high as number 43 later on in 1970 so Shocking Blue went the way of Spiral Staircase and Maria Moldauer and you know uh, yes a lot definitely. of other one-hit wonders but that was a great tune Featured artist this week, Marvin Gaye. We've been fortunate enough to enjoy the music of cool vocalists over the years. We talked about Robert Palmer, Brian Ferry of Roxy Music, but the coolest of all, to me, Marvin Gaye. Absolutely. different periods to his um, uh, career, and I, we'll cover them all, but uh, just such a dynamic performer, uh, and what a voice. 
born in Washington, D.C. in April 1939, died just a day before his 45th birthday. His uh, father, Marvin Gaye Sr., got an altercation with his wife and George uh, Marvin, who was living at the time with his folks, trying to beat that cocaine habit of his, mm. uh, got involved in the argument and uh, was tragically shot by his father. Marvin Gaye Sr. was given a six-year suspended sentence for that. Oh, he passed what a away tragedy. April 1st, 1984. But uh, the start of his career was a good one. Can I get a witness in 1963? An early hit for him. But he really th- got things going with Ain't That Peculiar and How Sweet It Is, I'll Be Doggone, 1965. Duet with Kim Weston, it takes two, and then started working with uh, Tammy Terrell for Your Precious Love, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, You're All I Need to Get By, big hits for those two in 67 and 68. Wish they could have just kept making records forever, because they, they just had, uh, uh, in fact, he had this with a number of different people where they just sounded so natural, and I think that was the reason that uh, so many people wanted to record with him. Yeah, Diana Ross, uh, Temptations, uh, in the early rendition of The Spinners, they did, did some background vocals for him, too. So tragedy occurred in October 67 when he and Tammy Terrell were on stage at a university in Virginia, and Tammy collapsed in his arms. Turned out to uh, be diagnosed with a brain tumor. She kept working, persevering through that illness and was no longer able to perform live, but mm. uh, did a lot of stuff in the recording studio with the right. help of her, her medication and her, her physicians, but succumbed to that dreadful disease in March of 1970 at the age of only 24. Oh, that's tragic. I heard it through the grapevine, 1969 was a number one hit, but he started becoming disillusioned with the music industry, and as we said before, not very happy with Motown head Barry Gordy, but Marvin still put together some big hits, like Too Busy Thinking About My Baby, and That's the Way Love Is, this is like 1970, before his musical interest shifted right. into that more introspective and reflective views on his war, police brutality, the ecology. All those things would work today, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. But the song, What's Going On, from that album in 1971, Mercy, Mercy Me, Inner City Blues, Trouble Man. What a great album Incredible that was. record. Um, I 
used to listen to it just from the beginning to end, and uh, it's one of those you never had to to skip songs or anything like that. Just one blended into the next. Because back then you couldn't just press fast forward. You had to actually physically pick up the needle and avoid scratching the album. Exactly. mom and dad or your sisters your sister must have thought wow what am i hearing down the hall usually it's who's next or live at fillmore east now i'm hearing and right. what's going on so you were already getting very diverse in your musical interests weren't you exactly and i think that um you know for for a lot of us it was one of the first times we've really delved into black music mm-hmm. uh, other than you know just the motown stuff that was kind of uh just general you said motown temptations I like motown. yeah four tops yeah that's uh, what comes was, to mind this was actually just actually going into a, a room with the uh man himself and listening to a record you know put out by him and it was just uh life-changing really Seventy-one was a cool year for certain artists. We talked about the Who, how their stuff from the '60s can't explain my generation. May not have translated very well to '70s music, but Who's Next certainly did. Absolutely. And for Marvin Gaye, Motown 
R&B stuff always works. Mm -hmm. But when you want to get a little more introspective, then Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, was the perfect thing to put on your turntable, wasn't it? So Let's Get It On was uh, the beginning of his next phase, his sexy singer phase. Yes, he became the uh, uh, almost the super stud, uh, to be honest with you. time he was very well compensated he made a hundred thousand dollars per night which uh, equates to about a half a million dollars per night these days doesn't and so four million copies of that song let's get it on which you still hear on tv shows and commercials absolutely and still with us spent two weeks at the top of the charts he had some difficulty with Motown, but he merged from his contract uh, as the 70s moved along he signed with columbia records and uh Fast forward to the late 70s, he was one of the most in-demand performers on stage, but he was battling right. mm-hmm. alcoholism and cocaine abuse. And, and depression. Depression. Yeah. His marriage ended. Um, he was still Got to Give It Up was a, a great song, which mm-hmm. accompanied his tour in 1977. I would have liked to have seen Marvin Gaye in concert, but I had enough trouble seeing the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac back then. You exactly. Know? And I'm not sure he ever came around. I think he did like... Limited dates. I'm not sure if he did uh, just a ton of dates on a tour. Sexual Healing, part of that Midnight Love album, 1982. It uh, won a couple of Grammy Awards. Spent, you know, as it's rising the charts, I thought for sure that's a surefire number one. I've been listening to it and spent three weeks at number three. Mm. It was held out of the top spot by Toto's Africa and Men at Work and Down Under. I'll be dying. Talk about different songs. genres, different eras of his music. It was the Motown stuff, uh, mm-hmm. Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, then Tammy Terrell, I'll Be Doggone, Ain't That Peculiar, great tunes. 
Then into the more retrospective, uh, introspective work uh, that he did with Let's Get It On and Mercy, Mercy Me, songs that would work today. Trouble Man soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I wish you'd done more of that, don't don't you? Oh, absolutely. I wish. Uh, I just love the... There are a couple of records there that I really love, and I just wish that we had heard a little bit more of that from Marvin. Um, he didn't. He didn't really come back to that later on in his career, and maybe he would have. He had struggles with cocaine and the paranoia that comes along with that illness. Uh, he moved in with his folks in L.A. in the early '80s, and in 1984, as we said, just a day before his birthday, he was shot to death uh, during that altercation he had with Marvin. Senior, Just a tragedy. It was. The album How Sweet It Is, January 65, featured these top performers, The Temptations, The Spinners, The Supremes, and Martha and the Vandellas. He didn't mind working with other people, did he? Not at all. Tammy Terrell, Kim Weston, Diana Ross. The smooth and cool rendition of the national anthem at the NBA All-Star Game in 1983, one of the last times we saw him performing live. That's right. And that was uh, quite controversial at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember there were friends of mine who did not like that at all, said it was uh, disrespectful. But, you know, we've seen so many things. uh, That's a big word when it comes to the national anthem, isn't it? Yeah. And I didn't think it was disrespectful at all. In fact, I thought he got the audience into the song and took a little bit different look at it. I agree. You can still call that up on YouTube if you want. However, I don't think you can call up this one. He sang the national anthem before Game 4 of the 1968 World Series in Detroit when the Tigers were playing the Cardinals. Really? I didn't realize that. But makes sense. Detroit yeah, probably just had sure. to walk down the street and, uh, and do his thing at Tiger Stadium. Absolutely. One of his final television appearances was when he performed on the Motown 25 show in 1983. That was the famous one with Billie Jean. And, uh, oh, what a fantastic show that was. And he was just part of uh, just a huge, great lineup. Now, I remember when that show was on, I probably tuned in. I don't know. I wasn't thinking too much about it. I should have in retrospect. But, you know, you're kind of bopping around. You're turning the channels. By then, we had cable and Oh, what else is on? Oh, the Motown show is on NBC. I wonder if this is any good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, Billy Jean and mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye and everybody was there. What a great show that turned out to be. Yeah, that was quite a, a celebration, really. So that's Marvin Gaye, one of my favorite artists, and Frankie U2. Oh, and, yeah. And we, the, the albums he had were great. He died way too young. I would have loved to have seen his work as as we moved to that, that from that post-disco era, you know, with the sexual healing and into the 
when it was just called dance music again. Exactly. It would have been nice to see how he evolved through his 50s and maybe into his 60s as a performer. It would have been really nice to see, or maybe doing some of the reunion tour concerts with uh, the Temptations or the Spinners or the Stylistics or somebody like that. Sure, definitely. Marvin Gaye, our featured artist this week on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. Thank you so much for joining me, Frankie. Thanks for having me. As we continue on with our classic conversations this winter, next week, Frank and I have a special one for you, the Moody Blues. That's the one with Alan Hewitt, the keyboardist when the Moody Blues are on tour as a band, and he is the musical director as well. Quite a story about uh, Alan's career. We'll have that for you next week on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.